Hey, welcome to the Midweek Talk Through edition of Young Gun. My name is Dimitri Ravanis. Our guest today is former Dallas Cowboys coach Dave Campo. He will join us in just a moment. First, though, I want to tell you about our friends at Graffiti. They're the ones that make it possible for Lauren and I to do this show for you each and every week. By now, you know the deal, right? Graffiti is one of the coolest high-end cocktail bars in all of Cary. But on Sunday, they are the place to watch NFL football. 19 screens, specials on whiskey pours, specials on beer, weekly prizes as well. Plus, they're always keeping axe throwing going. So if you have a significant other that isn't as into football, graffiti is the perfect place to go. Special bourbon pours at $10, 9 and $8 all day long while you're watching football on Sundays. Graffiti and carry is just one of the coolest places around. The art is always changing, and we uh, hope you go and support them because they support us. It is Graffiti 158 East Cedar Street in downtown Cary. All right, so my guest this week is the former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, also spent time as an assistant in Cleveland, Jacksonville, Dallas, and on a number of college staffs. Dave Campo, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. Yeah, this is my pleasure, Dimitri. Uh, I, you know, I appreciate people that do things for the league and and talk about, you know, their teams and those kind of things. So this is this is easy for me. Well, I wanted to tap into your experience today on a number of issues that, you know, that Bryce and the Panthers do intersect on. But let's start with just the you are hired as the head coach of a team and you are told that this is a full on reboot. We are bringing a rookie quarterback along. We are coming out of whatever period we were in with the when you were with the Cowboys. It was coming out of those Super Bowl runs with the Panthers. It was we're done going eight and eight every season and we're hitting that full reboot. Tell me about the decision making you have to do to make sure you're up for this challenge. Well, first of all, you know, of course, I was when I took over the Cowboys, I had been with them for uh, nine years. Mm. And so in some ways it was just business as usual from the standpoint that, you know, I understood the workings. Uh, I understood uh, Jerry's uh, interaction with, with the coaching staff. I understood all of those things. And and the one thing about coaching that is prevalent in all of us, we all think we can get it done regardless of what <laughs> the issues are. Right. So when I took over the job, I knew we were in a, in a, uh, transition period because we'd lost all of the top guys. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, Emmett was at the end of his career. Michael Irvin uh, had just been hurt the year before mm-hmm. and he was done. So, uh, you know, and Aikman uh, obviously got hurt early in the season. So that was the start of it. But I will say this, uh, you know, it was an unusual situation. And, and I think uh, Jerry uh, Jones is much better now than he was at that time, but he was active in, involved in a lot of things, not the on-field coaching. He never came in and said, hey, we should be doing this or doing that. But he was involved in all of the draft picks. And to be honest with you, I'm not sure that he studied as much as he needed to during that period of time. So it was very difficult. And then the decision that that he made to go with Quincy Carter uh, in training camp, I knew at that point, that was three years in, and Mm -hmm. I knew that I had to win that year, and that was very difficult because I told him at that time, he's not ready, but they made that decision, and, and, you know, the rest is history. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad you brought up the experience working with Jerry Jones because there was a report that came out this week that the Panthers are simplifying the playbook for Bryce Young at the request of Dave Tepper. Uh, You know, that is... 
we on this podcast have this theory that Dave Tepper's only goal in owning the Carolina Panthers is for you to know he understands football, right? Uh, I don't think that at this point, any of us in North Carolina think he is Jerry Jones level of um, meddlesome, but you live through it. Maybe I'm wrong. Tell me your experience about dealing with an owner like that when you're trying to start a new culture for the team. Well, it was a little difficult because, you know, he had come out and said he wanted to be part of the socks, the jocks, and the whole works. You know? <laughs> he also said that 500 other people could coach the Cowboys. So right. he started out in a tough situation, <laughs> although he's probably right at the, yeah. with the guys we had in the early 90s. You know, it's the owner's prerogative to be involved. And I, and I think, you know, when an owner looks and sees that, uh, there's a lot of discipline mistakes on the football team. And I think when you look at the Panthers, you know, I think they have a decent roster, but they've made too many mistakes. You know, the, the uh, fumbles, uh, you know, turnovers, penalties, those kind of things. And I think the owner probably has stepped in and said, hey, look, let's simplify things and, and you know, let's li- let the guys just play a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, again, uh, I don't know that he's telling uh, coach to to do everything, but I think he does have a say in it, and and uh, rightfully so. He owns a football team. Do you, when you're in that situation, you know, now removed from it, you can sit there and you and I, you on your couch, me in my office, and you can very plainly say, rightfully so, he owns the football team. In the moment, though, did you feel that way, or were you were you frustrated and you felt like he was in the way? Well, like I said, I knew Jerry, you know, yeah. and I knew what he was involved with. I I never had the feeling that the coaching part of it and the decision part of it, which is a little bit what you just said that uh, Mr. Tepper is involved in. He never really said, hey, you need to do this or that from the coaching standpoint. The only frustration I had a little bit was in the draft uh, Mm -hmm. and, you know, some of those kind of things because, you know, that is the lifeline for the football team is is making sure you've got guys on the field that that you trust and you – uh, you know, go with. And, and that's the only issue I had. So I probably would have been a little frustrated if he started coming in and saying, look, you need to run a, a, a sweep here or a read option. Yeah. That was our, our domain. There's been some speculation recently that, you know, with the first pick of the draft, maybe Frank Reich was not as all in on Bryce Young as Scott Fitterer, the GM, and Dave Tepper, the owner, were. Uh, You talk about having some frustration with the draft. Tell me a little bit from a coaching standpoint what it is you understand the second that you are overruled either by an owner, GM, or whatever. How How does your role change when it turns out you're not getting the guy you wanted. The example that we've used a lot here is um, that, you know, Hugh Jackson for all of his failings as a head coach was a very good offensive coordinator, was very outspoken in Cincinnati that he wanted Colin Kaepernick. He thought he could do a lot with that skill set, but the pick before they take Andy Dalton instead. And so he has said publicly, like at that point, my job was to forget Colin existed and draw up a playbook for Andy Dalton. And they did. And they had a lot of success. It doesn't feel like they've done that here in Carolina. Well, First of all, that's absolutely right. I think once, you know, you once you have your team, you have your team. And, and uh, you know, I think that uh, it's a little frustrating when that first part happens. Mm-hmm. But in reality, all of us feel like we can, you know, fit the scheme to the player. The thing that's disappointing about it in ways is if you're a good head football coach, you know what you're, you want your team to look like. 
you know what fits your people. And, and so if when you don't get the person that you want, that's the frustrating part. But at the same time, you have no choice. Your, your responsibility is to give that team a chance to win. And when you don't, you, you're out of there and then it, it's uh, out of the way. When I look at Bryce Young, for example, I loved Bryce Young when he came out. I actually feel like he's a legitimate number one pick. So, you know, from that standpoint, I think the Carolina Panthers are in good shape because when the problem that you have was when you have the first pick in the draft, you're not coming to a very good football team. That's, right. that's the nature of the business in the national football. If you're in the top 10, but especially if you're in the bottom five, you know, the top five, you know, you're not getting a very good situation. And, and so I, I liken this to where the Jaguars are, you know, when that first year when, when uh, Trevor Lawrence was here in Jacksonville, it was a struggle, one in 15, mm-hmm. you know, and, and when we had uh, Troy Aikman as a rookie quarterback back with the Cowboys, we were one in 15. So, you know, I think that, that uh, you know, the biggest thing is you have to fit the scheme to your guy and let him progress. And when I watch uh, Bryce, he can make all the throws, he can scramble, he can throw on the run, all those things. But other than Thielen and a couple of other guys, he doesn't have the surrounding yet and i think jacksonville for example has has improved that they're a better football team all the way through the roster so i think that's the biggest thing that carolina has to do you got to give them a couple of years to get the guys around them and it takes to win so i i want to remind people listening and watching that uh not only did dave spend some time with the jaguars and assistant he also has retired to jacksonville so help us out with something that we have heard a lot, and I talked to a lot of people, and nobody has seen it yet. We keep hearing that DJ Chark is capable of being Bryce's number one guy. Like, this last game, he had some great effort catches, but overall, we're still waiting to see, is he really a number one option? What What do you think as you watched him with the Jaguars? Well, first of all, he was right at the end, at the end there when I came back mm-hmm. to, to Jacksonville. So I, I didn't see him a lot. The year that I saw him, he struggled. And that's, you know, kind of why they kind of let him get away, I yeah. think. You know, and and he has talent. He has the ability to make big catches and those kind of things. Uh, the one thing I didn't see with him when he was here was a little bit of the consistency from play to play to play. And, and that's what we're seeing here right now. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that may be him. And I, and I think that the guys that were making those decisions for the Jaguars – probably saw that and were not willing to, you know, give him the big money that he deserves. So a lot of people said he should be a number one, but in reality, uh, on your ball club, on the, on the Carolina ball club, Thielen's number one. Yeah, He's got to do enough in a secondary role uh, because teams are going to start trying to take Thielen away. Mm-hmm. And that's hard to do because he's a, he's an outstanding player. Uh, so for him to be, you know, what you might think he should be, he's got to start stepping up. And and I'm not sure that he's done that to this point from what I've seen. And again, I haven't watched every football game, but I've watched a couple of them. Yeah. the So it's interesting. You mentioned uh, that Thielen is the number one right now. Clearly Bryce has some comfort with 
that is the veteran I can trust. I also picked up pretty early on, Bryce feels very comfortable with Jonathan Mingo. And that might be a matter of both played in the SEC or familiar with each other, whatever the case may be. How much of your job as a coach is to establish who it is we are going to, who our number one option is on these patterns, and how much is your job paying attention to who is the quarterback most comfortable with and then redesigning things around that? Well, first of all, you know, the playbook is the playbook. Mm -hmm. So they have a playbook, and the plays are designed to go one, two, three. You know, they're not necessarily designed to go to Mingo or go to Thielen. It really comes down to kind of what the defense gives you. But at the same time, uh, when you have a comfort level with somebody, you try to put that guy into positions that you think attack the defenses that you're seeing on the other football team. So that's what they try to do. Uh, and, uh, and again, I, you know, I do a lot of stuff with 1010XL uh, here in Jacksonville, the, the radio station. When we talk about the guys, the one thing that you see is you have to keep your receivers happy. So, you know, they're a different breed. Yeah. You know, I coached DBs my whole career prior to being a head coach and a coordinator, and corners are a different breed. You got to make sure that they're put into positions to make plays because they're so outgoing and out, you know, and and in such a tough position. Well, receivers are in the same position. So, in Jacksonville, for example, Ridley might catch eight balls one day, but then all of a sudden the next week, Kirk catches eight balls. Yeah. So you do scheme things to get guys the football. And so that's something that is there. But when it comes down to when you're getting pressure on you and you know where your number one guy is, you have a tendency as a quarterback to go there. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's part of it with Thielen. But at the same time, the guy's got to get open. There was a, a game here in Jacksonville a couple of weeks ago where I felt that uh, Trevor went to Ridley too many times because he had such confidence in him and, and it didn't work out. Yeah, You have to spread the wealth and keep those guys happy. Speaking of keeping guys happy, this is where we'll wrap because this is some real like head coach kind of stuff that those of us that have not worked in the game probably can't understand. You are leading a team that is starting a new era. You're leading a team where the understanding is it's not about this year, it's about three years, five years from now. How do you, or what is it that you say to those veterans, the Adam Thielens, who's used to being in the playoffs, the uh, Miles Sanders, who came over from a team that was just in the Super Bowl, what is it you say to them to keep them on board with the plan when it's not the version of the NFL, the version of professional football they've experienced? Well, I can give you an example. You know, my last year with the Cowboys, you know, it, it was it was truly when when Ken, Quincy came in. And, and this is not a knock on Quincy. It just mm -hmm. happens. It's Quincy. He's a, a rookie quarterback. Uh, it was really a rebuilding situation. Yeah, we got to the point where we had to, you know, let's get these young guys in and, and let's go forward. Uh, I, I didn't I was pretty sure it wasn't going to be me, but I knew that <laughs> that's the direction it was going. Yeah. So. Uh, what Emmett came in the, in the paper about six games in or so, and he went in the paper and he said, Hey, I didn't sign up for a rebuild. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I brought him in and, and Emmett knew he, he'd made a mistake. He brought his playbook with him. He thought <laughs> I was going to let him go, which I was not going to do. 
But my comment to him was exactly what the comment was to the team. You know, your job is not to make a decision on the way the team is going. Your job is to perform. That's what you're being paid for. And when you say things like that in the media, number one, it doesn't make you look good, but it also doesn't make the team look very good, which you should not be. You should be worried about everybody else in this room, not just yourself. And Mm -hmm. so my answer to that question is, guys, we're getting ready to play. We can be a good football team, but we cannot do it when we're fumbling the ball, when we're throwing interceptions, when we're uh, offsides and, and doing all the penalties that they've been involved with. Let's just look within yourself and take care of your responsibility and we'll win some games here. I don't know how many we'll win, but I guarantee you we're building. We're going to do something here that a lot of you are going to be involved with two or three years down the road. And I think that's the approach that you have to take. Uh, you know, it's hard when a guy comes in like Thielen that's been used to winning. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I I understand that. It's hard for a coach that's used to winning. I went <laughs> right. through it. You know, we won a lot of games in the 90s. So, uh, you know, I'm when I look at the Carolina Panthers, it does not surprise me that they're where they're at. But the one thing I will say this for Doug Peterson in Jacksonville, calm, cool, and collected. And I think Reich is the same way. You know, I think he's good for the football team because whether you win or lose – you stay on the same plane and you look forward to the next one. Uh, before I let you go, given what your role was in Dallas before becoming the head coach, how much uh, advice has Coach Prime sought from you in his new life? Yeah. Well, Prime, <laughs> let me tell you something. He didn't coach Prime very much, you know, because <laughs> yeah. you know, he was his old guy. Uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, he takes, listen, the one thing about him was it were two things. Number one, three things, really. Number one, he never blamed anybody but himself, mm-hmm. you know. And I wasn't sure, you know, at first because he was so uh, flamboyant and yeah. out front. He but, was Dion Dion when you got yeah. It. And, and I'll tell you what, whenever anything went wrong, he said, "Hey, don't blame the coaches. Blame us. We're out mm-hmm. here playing." Okay, but that was one thing. But number two, he was very competitive. But number three, he studied. He's a smart guy, and the one thing he probably took for me was more uh, scheme and. And that type of thing, because he studied everything. He knew who he was playing against. He knew what they were trying to do. He studied all kinds of film. And so, you know, that part of it. Remember, I was a coordinator at that time. I wasn't the secondary coach. Mike Zimmer coached him. And I think Mike did a good job because it's different coaching a guy like that. You let him do some things. But at the same time, you give them uh, you you give them accountability. You know, I can remember one thing, and I know I'm probably going too long. No, it's okay. I can remember one thing when uh, he gave up a, a pass in a critical situation, and I was in the press box, and Zimmer was on the phone, and here's how you coach Dion. I'm screaming at Zimmer. He can't, you know, he's getting paid money. He can't give up that kind of a pass, blah, 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 blah. Zimmer was, has fed up with me. He takes the headset off. He says, here, and he hands it to Dion. Now, I've just been screaming for, for a minute. And yeah. as soon as Dion got the phone, I said, now, Dion, you know, you got to be in the right spot there. You know, we can't let that one happen. You know, you're too good a football player. So, you know, Dion probably got some things from scheme wise, but yeah. you know, he's a smart guy and he knows uh, football. There's no question. 
All right, Dave Campo, former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, coordinator and secondary coach all over the league in college football as well. Dave, thank you so much, man. I appreciate your insight. No problem, and good luck to the Panthers. I know you're, you're part of them now being in the city, and uh, go Jaguars as well. <laughs>